welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. Welcome into the Bleachers. It is a new week, new podcast. We are rolling right along into the new year. We are now a couple weeks in. I have survived my, my version of covid my family is doing uh, wonderful things now with school in full swing. It is a lot of fun. And again, the CBA is still up in the air, still a lockout situation as they meet uh, most recently to hopefully uh, get a better idea of how they're going to get things moving forward. But this is going to be a special podcast. We are going to have a very special guest on this podcast. We have an interview. We're going to talk about the specifics of the baseball and to be even more specific, we're going to Tuttle and I are going to go to school on this podcast, and we hope everybody else in the bleachers will too. We're we're going to astrophysics class, but Tuttle, how you doing? What do you got going on? And are you excited to become an astrophysicist? I am. That's uh, it's. I I think I might have told you this before, but uh, it's something that my son is very interested in. He wants to look into the astrophysics world, which you know, again, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Apparently, so <laughs> you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna glean all the knowledge I can today from our special guest, uh, Dr. Meredith Wills, and uh, and see uh, and see if I can't uh, carry on a better conversation with my teenage son who uh, aspires to be an astrophysics. Well, I think what's uh, great about your son wanting to be an astrophysicist, physicist, yeah, easy, easy for me to say, to say is that we, we will get one of the Tuttles down here in Houston because a lot of the, every time I think about astrophysicist, I think of, you know, launching a rocket into space yeah. and working for NASA and things like that. But uh, yeah, I think it'd be a very interesting to get a Tuttle out here in Houston. I know that you're looking forward to it yeah. eventually someday, but man, yeah. how did you, how did you inspire your son to even think yeah. about getting into with something like that. So I don't, you know, inspire, you know, uh, ignore, I don't know what the word is. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I think you've learned this, you got four daughters. I mean, you know, maybe if you had a son, it would look at things differently, but, uh, I mean, we don't really have a whole lot of say about, you know, uh, you know, what, what gender our children are, uh, what, uh, you know, that nature versus nurture argument. I've said this before, it always holds a ton of water until you have children, Um, and when you have children that are, you know, come from the same place with the same mother and father, and they're all so darn very different, um, you know, I don't think I've done a whole lot. I mean, he's a smart kid, which again, as I said, maybe in this case, the apple does far, far, farther, uh, from the tree than I expect. But, uh, yeah, his, he's always just been interested in math and science, which, uh, is not something that I took to. He's a good uh, piano player, pianist, and, uh, that's not something that I had any sort of influence on. So. I guess I can give my wife all the credit for the brains and the musical talent. I, I just, you know, I think you know this being a dad, right? There is no, we like to draw lines, especially when you're mad. I'm like, you know, when my wife's <laughs> doing something, I'm like, you're just like your mother. You know, that's always a good oh my gosh, comeback, that's a great right? Line. Yeah, because that, yeah, that gets you a long way. <laughs> Sound the alarm when, yeah, when you're ready to say it, you're like, so, so I don't know. I mean, I can't take credit for it, but it's, He's definitely a science and math guy. I wanted to ask you what your version of COVID was because you said I survived my version of COVID. Um, yeah, are you you're well, healthy, like wealthy, and wise? But well, I'm good enough. Yeah, I mean, I've been working out for the last week or so, and I'm getting back, trying to get back in shape a little bit. I did lose a little bit of weight, which you know I could always use, being you know my <laughs> size. But um, my version of COVID, it kind of the onset was the scratchy throat 
And then, you know, my sinuses started to fill up and I got the sniffles and I started to sneeze like crazy. I don't know. So I mm. immediately, I thought it was at my allergies because I've got pretty bad uh, hay fever, mold, dust type issues. So I just assumed it was uh, something in the air down in, uh, down in Florida when we went. But I got back here to Houston and it was really the day... The day after we got back, my energy level was fine, but I was congested. So I just, you know, mm -hmm. took a couple of Zyrtex and, I, you know, uh, some Dayquil just to kind of help clear things up so I could breathe. And my wife was really fatigued and kind of laying on the couch. And I was running around, you know, doing laundry, trying to get bags unpacked and put all the suitcases away. And then it was a couple days after uh, we got back and that when it kind of hit me and I really started to have the headache and I had the, like... Not the normal, I get sinus infections for whatever mm -hmm. reason, but I didn't have the normal like sinus infection, like headache type stuff. It felt like my head was going to explode and it really started to get to me. You know, there was a little bit of a cough, uh, no so fever. So you definitely, you definitely felt it and had some symptoms, but you're yeah, uh, all, but all systems extreme. go now. Yeah. And to be, and, and full transparency, I guess, for all of our view, for all of our listeners is that I didn't, you know, I did the day quill, the night quill, uh, still taking my allergy pills, you know, that helped a little bit, but I kind of got to the point where I'm like, okay, enough of this, man, I need to do something. I actually got a Z pack and the Z pack, uh, helped out a ton for me, kind of, kind of started to, uh, that's when it began to, began to wane a little bit for me and my, my congestion started to go away. Nice. Well, there you go. Z pack is the answer down in Houston, but that's you know, good. For this You're yeah, you're healthy now, so that's all right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so that's it's good to hear from you. Good to see you, and uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, to having our next guest on. Let's yeah, hope to have good. more too. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have more throughout the course of the season. We're just kind of kicking things off, uh, you know, in the CBA lockout situation, trying to conjure up and think of ideas to really continue to get dig a little bit deeper into baseball. And this was an opportunity for us to talk to an astrophysicist. Her name is Dr. Meredith Wills. Highly educated, uh, extremely fun to talk to, and she has done a lot of investigating into the actual baseball itself. And I actually learned a ton about the baseball and some of the issues it was having. I didn't realize it started in 2017, which Dr. Meredith will talk about, uh, because my, a lot of my conversation started in 2019. But I know a lot of Astro fans have concerns about it, and I know a lot of teams that were in the postseasons over the last four or five years have concerns about it with all of the stories coming out. But you're going to learn a lot. I hope you enjoy it. Give us your feedback on bleacherblums.com. Let us know what you thought about it. Reach out to Tuttle on Twitter, at RealDavidTuttle. You can hit me up, at Blummer27. And, of course, you can follow at BleacherBlums. Give us some feedback on it. Give us some thoughts. And uh, hopefully you get some, uh, some questions answered as we speak with Dr. Meredith Wills. I've got my conspiracy hat ready. There you go. We are here in the bleachers, and this is Bleacher Blums. I am Jeff Blum, my co-host David Tuttle out there in California, and we are very privileged on this episode of Bleacher Blums to have a very special guest, somebody that you, we've actually referenced on our podcast quite a bit because we've been talking about baseball throughout the course of our podcast over the last two or three years, the effects it has on the game. And this may be a first for us in the bleachers, and it may be a last for us because personally, I don't know too many astrophysicists, and we have Dr. Meredith Wills on this podcast with us. We are grateful to have you on, Meredith. We appreciate you taking the time to come on with us. How are things going? And you know, where are you at right now? Well, first, thanks for having me. Um, I am also out in California right now. Uh, you know, 
got gotta love the you sort of stay in one one place. Uh, so, you know, out here, uh, I was in you know Wisconsin for a huge amount of time uh, until recently, and so I kind of bounced back and forth. But for a while, I'm here. So. Nice. That's awesome. We appreciate you coming on. I'm going to leave it. I'm going to let Tuttle start this thing off for us. Well, um, obviously, this is a baseball podcast, but Jeff and I met uh, a, a couple of years ago with our kids. We're fathers of multiples, and we like to talk about our children on this podcast as well. But uh, having you on, my son is aspiring funny being an ex-ball player, to be an astrophysicist. So Good man. Um, that's kind of a lead-in, right, to giving us a little history. Um, you know, our our, our audience may not be something that you're used to. I know you're popular in baseball circles, but in terms of, um, you know, articulating your CV and your resume and, you know, what got you interested in astrophysics to begin with, but then how obviously you branched uh, into baseball and where you're at now. So I know that's a lot, but just kind of give us your history, how you got here, and, um, you know, maybe some of the things you're going to be sharing with us. Well, I mean, I guess that this is kind of a fun story, uh, mostly because... I feel like somebody would have written it as opposed to that it's real life. Um, so my dad grew up a Milwaukee Braves fan, like the entire existence of the team. That nice. was his team. I was born on opening day in 1974, which was the day that Hank Aaron tied Babe Ruth's home run record. Ooh, so here's wow. Hank Aaron, who he's watched his entire career tie Babe Ruth's home run record on opening day, which is the day his daughter was born. Nice. Uh, he went out, he bought me a baseball bat the day I was born. I still own it. You know, my birth announcements had this little girl with a ball and, or with a bat and a, a ball cap. And uh, my parents, by the way, got a lot of congratulations on the birth of their baby boy. Uh, because right. well, you had a uh, baseball was, bat and a ball in your crib or your bassinet. You're like, hey. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, I was three weeks old when I went to my first game. Uh, as my dad tells me over and over, Steve Carlton was pitching, which meant that when I was wow. like 21 and met Steve Carlton for the first time, my dad comes up behind me. I had like, you know, blonde hair down to my waist, just, you know, 21-year-old chickie. And my dad comes up and says, you know, you pitched the first game she saw when she was three weeks old. I'm thinking, you just made him feel so old, daddy. Yeah. You know, yep. just <laughs> so, and that was Hall of Fame, by the way. So where I'm going with this, I've literally been a baseball person since day one. Absolutely. Uh, I do actually have astrophysics background on my mom's side. You know, like my grandpa worked for NASA in the early, early years before manned spaceflight even. Uh, but, you know, I didn't become an astrophysicist till, till college, really. I mean, it's fascinating. I'm, I guess it's kind of weird to say always when you're a kid, but I think I've always been a scientist Mostly because science, and this does actually, this does actually go into you know what I'm doing now, particularly with baseballs. Physically, science can be pretty much anything. It's really just a way that you have ideas and ask questions and find answers to those questions, and it's a very systematic way of doing it. And I think to some extent, I've always approached things like that. You know, so even if it's not science, you think like a scientist. Yeah. Um, and so I think they kind of go together that way. And um, I'm assuming we're going to talk about taking baseballs apart, but that's, you know, like 
Well, well, no, it it actually makes sense because I think if I start looking back in my history, I was always an athlete at some point, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so, and you know, problem solving or whatever is my dad got into marketing, but he always had an engineer brain. So every, every problem that he solved was an engineer base. So what what you're saying makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. So, So what actually got you into the idea of baseball? Because astrophysics, I mean, there's plenty of physics involved in baseball. What was it or when was it where you actually recognized that the baseball was what you wanted to focus on? the actual physical baseball itself? Uh, actually, it's it, it was, I think as the science part, it was the two, the two, excuse me, the 2017 home run surge, you know, mm-hmm. back when home run searches weren't like the norm. And uh, at the time, people forget that we didn't always think it was the baseball. You know, the, when that home run committee that MLB um, commissioned you know, oh, no. when they did their study, they were looking, the ball was only one thing. They were looking at bat, the type of bat. They were looking at players. You know, they thought maybe it was another PED thing. Um, I think my favorite actually uh, was climate change was something that was brought up <laughs> that maybe because the overall temperature of the earth is getting warmer, the ball might yeah, be traveling humidity. farther. Yep. Um, but they actually looked at all of this stuff. And it's, I mean, it's heavy going, but it's an interesting, like the committee report is about 83 pages long oh, wow. and is, you know, certainly there are parts of it that are worth reading. You can skip like the, the overly technical, but there is, there's a lot in there just to show like how systematic they were. And the one thing that they found that the, was the only thing that could creditably explain the increase in home runs was that the drag on the baseball had changed, which just meant that the drag was lower and sort of in layman's terms, that just means when the ball is in the air, it doesn't slow down as quickly. So because of that, it's traveling farther because it's just you know moving faster and not slowing down as fast. Yeah, less resistance. No, I just think it's another interesting point of context too, is that Major League Baseball actually owns a majority of Rawlings. When did they actually purchase that majority of Rawlings to, in order to give them the opportunity to have an effect on how the baseball is actually made? Uh, it looks like it was actually prompted by the study, by the results. Um, really? They announced, the, the Home Run Committee report came out at the end of May in 2018. And in, I believe, June of 2018, MLB announced that it had purchased a stake in Rawlings. Um, as it turns out, they own, I want to say it's it's maybe 20-25%, but the rest of the company is actually owned by one of the owners of the Padres. And so, you know, the whole statement of we're going to be involved and we're going to like, you know, have this oversight and control. It, it, it's, I guess I haven't seen it written down officially, but the idea that an owner has ceded decision-making to the commissioner's office makes sense. You know, so, so they, even if they don't own the majority, they certainly make the decisions, but it does appear to have been prompted by finding that the ball had changed, uh, you know, as a result of what the Home Run Committee found. Uh, what's interesting is about three days before that report came out, I had already decided to look at the, I mean, a bunch of us like independently were looking at things. And I decided not just to look at the ball, but specifically the construction, um, because there have been historical instances. Uh, some of them are some of them are deliberate. Some of them appear not to be where the performance of the ball has changed because of the interior construction. 
So the one that was most interesting to me was uh, one of the reasons that the, we went to the dead ball to the live ball era. It's not the only one, but one of them uh, appears to be because Major League Baseball had been using substandard yarn during World War One, you know, because war, you know, that's yeah. just how it works. War got and in the way. so once once the war was over, they were able to get higher quality merino wool from um, Australia. And so they switched to higher quality wool and the ball, you know, we started getting more home runs. Uh, the ball was coming off the bat faster. This is one of those ones where I tend to see it discounted a lot. No, it had to have been these other things, largely because people can't believe that just by changing the type of wool, it would make a difference. If you're a knitter, you know, which I am, you, yeah, the diff different kinds of wool <laughs> behave differently. That's why you don't always use merino or lester or mohair or whatever, because they do, you know, they are different. Uh, and so, yeah, I can see that having been, wasn't the only thing, but I'm sure it had an impact. So you know, taking that, you know, I, I went with looking at the construction and discovered something that the home run can be had. Well, I think it's interesting because of, I mean, you know, the layperson, that's exactly why we're having a scientist on this podcast, because the layperson does think it's other things like, well, that can't really have an effect or not. I mean, but I know you guys as scientists are looking for consistent, measurable, quantifiable variables. And I think, you know, the baseball is a really good place to start because as my, you know, we've talked about on this podcast, I, you know, I played during the steroid era and it's kind of like, People want to say, well, he had steroids and that's it means he recovers faster or he was stronger or he hit the ball farther, he corked his bat or – I mean those things are very – I mean they're certainly measurable but not measurable in the same capacity as the ball. So similar to an elimination diet, right? Let's eliminate these things. And so I think starting with the baseball would be a great something to – like you said, it's something you can look at and if it is consistent and it travels the same, then you can eliminate it. Obviously, you started there and are still there because it's certainly a huge part of this equation yeah no you talked about the interior of the baseball i think one of the funniest things if you if you played baseball as a kid and you actually got one you know that you had actually gone through it started to shred a little bit or the seam started to come apart all of a sudden you were in your bedroom you know after getting yelled at for you know spilling something on the carpet or doing something wrong and all of a sudden you start to unwind that baseball I know that you have gone through thousands of baseballs, and every once in a while, even on our broadcast, we'll shoot into the uh, bullpen, and you'll see somebody who's just, you know, taking the time to unwind a baseball and see what's actually on the inside of that thing. If you had to give an estimate on how many baseballs that you have unraveled to go through some of these experiments you're going through, how many would you say you've gone through? Oh, man. Um, well, <laughs> just this season. Just for 2021, I, um, there were 169 baseballs in the study, just like published study for uh, Bradford William Davis did a great article for Insider on what I found with the 2021 baseball. Uh, spoiler, it was really, really unexpected and people are not happy, but that was 169 that are just in the published study. Uh, I want to say I did between 300 and 350 just for 2021 because I also looked at spring training and at AAA, because they now oh, do wow. use the Major League Baseball. Yep. You're right. And, um, you know, I even have some pre-tacked balls around here. I was able to get pre-tacked oh, really? balls from, like, that last two weeks. Hmm. Yeah, oh, that's, no that's I haven't, I am still haven't gotten to those, but I will. 
before that, um, I know probably between 750 and a thousand. My goodness. Closer to 750. I have another thousand that I need to go through that, but those are historical <laughs> mostly. So, so, so asking a lot you, of knitting by the time you get through all yeah. of that. <laughs> I was going to say, asking you what you have on tap for the year, you know, the upcoming year or two is, is you know, that, that seems... <gasps> Opening uh, baseballs I still don't even have. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Opening. Well, I, how far back to some of the baseballs you get? How many, how far, you, we talked about it before we got on the podcast. How far back mm-hmm. do some of these baseballs go that you actually have? Well, the ones I have that are sort of, like, that I own specifically to study uh, do go into the early 90s. Um, you know, I, I'd like to get earlier than that, you know, for instance, like 1987, I really want to see what the rabbit ball looked like. That was enough of an outlier where getting 86, 87 and 88 for comparison, I think is a big deal. And I do want to see if it was different. Well, it's interesting. You, we talked about the PED era, but if you have those baseballs starting in the early nineties, do do you think there will be a, a correlation between PEDs and the actual baseball itself that kind of lended itself, you know, considering we're in this CBA time, the last lockout or, or last, you know, labor strike and issue they had was 1994. And after that, yep. we started to see in the late 90s was the home runs really started to jump and a lot of the blame was on PEDs. Do you think that there could be some uh, similarities in, or some issues with the baseball that helped out the home run well, surge the, after the, that? Uh, the increase, I want to say, the, the big one was, um, was it 92 and 93 or 91 and 92, where, where like it just was like this massive going from, in fact, it looks very similar to what we saw from like 2015 to 2017. Oh, wow. You know, hmm. by the way, just, just to keep that in mind, um, what, what people tend to forget, and I, I, even actually, I saw this on Twitter recently, somebody saying, oh, yeah, the baseballs are made in Haiti. Baseballs haven't been made in Haiti, you know, since, did they leave around 89? Is that right? That feels uh, but, about right. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, and so they went from Haiti to Costa Rica, switched over manufacturing. Uh, if you guys have seen videos of how the manufacturing happens, particularly what they, they're called sewers. It's spelled mm-hmm. sewers, but I promise it's pronounced sewers. <laughs> um, and those are the people who actually sew the stitches onto the outside of the baseball. Now, I'm going to head off the question. Uh, a lot of people will come back, and when they talk about standardizing the ball more, it comes up with, well, why are they being made by hand? Particularly that stitch by hand. Mm-hmm. Um, there does not appear to be any economically viable way to stitch a baseball closed using a machine. I'm not sure if machines have been patented for it or not, but even if they have, it's just you know, clearly it's more economically advantageous or we wouldn't have every single baseball in the world, all of them, down to like the souvenir ones and the little league and, you know, yeah. are stitched by a human being. Oh, that's good. Uh, I didn't know. That's so, amazing to think about. Oh, and it's also the hardest job to do. I smell a business opportunity. I'm working on a machine now. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, here's the thing. I'm sure it's being done. Yeah. It's just yeah. a question of how cost efficient is it compared to people. Correct. Um, and what, what I've learned is that being a sewer is far and away the hardest job for making a baseball. And it's, it's a very, it's a difficult skill to do it well and to do it consistently. So if you think about when the move happened from Haiti to Costa Rica, 
And then there's kind of this weird dip of home runs being really down. And then in, you know, what's it, 90, 92 and 93, Mm -hmm. you start to see these home runs really go up like fast. And uh, after that, it, it it's going up a little bit. It largely levels out. Like there's just this this you know really sharp going up, and then it's not nearly as bad. So if you were to think about that, and getting back to the the scientist hypothesis thing, if you think about, let's say it was only PEDs, what that would mean? Because in fact, the increases it's like half of it is the first year, and the other half is the second year. That would require that you went for some percentage, like, you know, let's, let's say it's like 15, maybe only 20%. We'll make it small. Uh, and somehow 20% of the guys are taking enough PEDs where we get this huge jump from a previous year. You then get the same amount the next year. So what does that mean? We've gone from 20 guys taking them to 40 guys, percent of guys taking them. And then suddenly everything levels off. And stays leveled off or going up even as the PED era ends. And it's, you know, I'm sorry, it, it, it's hard for me personally to justify, first of all, why you got that massive increase only for the two years. You know, I mean, or maybe was it half and half and then suddenly everyone's doing them? And then it would have to stop so that nobody was doing them, or nobody more was doing them. And then once people stopped doing them, or at least, it became less of an issue, I should say. I'm not going to pretend nobody uses them. Uh, but, you know, and the numbers stay the same or high. I don't, right. I'm don't. i not willing to buy it was only human beings. It doesn't explain the data. Right. It's not consistent. Sorry, it's not measurable. No, I, I think it makes perfect sense. And that's what I was saying, what you, what you had was measurable before. So yeah. let me take a little bit of a, a, a turn. I think your first study that I read about was in 2019. And that was when, maybe not your first study, but when you talked mm-hmm. about um, it, like COVID, right? It was manufacturing. Um, now that we know Major League owns the balls, but they said it was a supply chain issue. Um, and then now this study, obviously, you referenced the Insider article. They're saying you know, that they came out and said, no, we didn't alter the ball. Yes, we did alter the ball. When you got into this as a scientist, because I know scientists' mm-hmm. brains are looking at, like you sa- I said already, consistent, measurable variables. Is there? I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Uh, we are former players. Is there a conspiratorial thing? Like when they said, oh, yeah, no, it was a manufacturing issue that made the laces. I, I think that study was that you, I think what you talked about, the drag on the ball, the ball was rounder. It was more consistently round, which, you know, made the uh, made the ball travel farther. This study obviously is a little bit different where the balls, you know, were different in the beginning of 2000 and then changed. So um, I'm just curious as to know, do you now have as a scientist trying to stay unbiased or um, in a different position, are you are you a little more conspiratorial? And I don't know if you're allowed to kind of speak to that. Well, I, I can I can certainly speak to the, the issues around it. Um, okay. What I will say is, through the end of or through the 2019 season, the balls that were used for 2019, um, everything that we found or that I found as as a a change that was affecting, you know, sort of what was going on in the field was something that you could, or at least I could find a reasonable explanation through a manufacturing process. So that was everything from why home runs went up for 27, you know, well, frankly, starting from late 2015 through 2017, I was right. able to find a reason for that that related to manufacturing uh, or why the 2019 ball suddenly was off the charts. 
another one that you could relate to manufacturing. Even the fact that two balls got used during the 2019 postseason, which did happen, although it kind of got buried because of the pandemic kicking in, um, even that, you know, seemed to be supply. And the fact that they ran out of baseballs uh, from 2019. And so believe it or not, the new balls they used or the extra balls they used were 2020s, which it took me the, doing the cryptography to crack the inventory batch codes to figure that out. So it was, Interesting. I feel like they got teleported back in time in a way because <laughs> they were made in like August of 2019, but they were ultimately used in the 2020 season. Interesting. Uh, the, with this year, uh, what's been strange is this actually goes back to the 2020 season uh, in that turns out they used two baseballs then as well. Which is, again, something that kind of got, I wouldn't say it exactly got buried, but uh, there's a reason that there's a memo that was sent at the, you know, before the 2020 season saying, by the way, there's this new kind of baseball that, you know, we've made differently that's, we made differently specifically so it'll perform differently. <laughs> and, you know, was, we had found that there actually were two kinds of baseballs and moreover that they were manufactured you know, during these chunks of time. So it's not like the same amount. It's not like they were simultaneously being made. You'd have like one kind made for three months. They'd switch to the new kind for three months or four months. They'd then switch back to the kind they'd made before. And so 2020 manufacturing was like this. And I don't know them who out makes those on, decisions. <laughs> that's I don't know. I honestly, that's, 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 that's a good question. Well, I was going to say, we don't know why or how because they'll never tell us, but in your professional opinion, I mean, or just guessing, what would be your reasoning why they actually changed the baseball midseason? Because I, I remember talking to guys in 2019 with the Astros, and I've been lucky that they've been able to get, you know, play well enough and put up some of the numbers that you're talking about in 17, one of the best offenses I've ever seen. And then 18 was a little bit of a lull. 2019, the numbers start to spike again. And the I'm ball was completely to, different in 2019, just just – Keep that in mind. It, the, well, the exterior the that, of the ball. Yeah. Oh. To your point, that was when I mm -hmm. first started having conversations mm -hmm. with actual pitchers on the Astros team where they're telling me, they're, they're telling me, and they would bring the baseball to me and they'd say, feel this thing. And it felt like a golf ball in my hand. You know, mm -hmm. it was perfectly round. It was flat. Mm -hmm. the, the, the leather felt like it was pulled a little bit tighter. And for me personally, I was shocked. It, being a hitter, I was, you know, I wish I could have hit against this thing. But the, <laughs> the, uh, yeah. the seams, there was barely any seam mm -hmm. on that baseball in 2019. Mm -hmm. yep. And that's that drag you're talking about where the ball started to fly. Mm -hmm. And then in 2019, they get to the postseason and you start to really see the the home run numbers dip big time. Mm -hmm. And, and it was because they mixed in the 2020 balls and they used both. That's crazy to right. me. And it's not until 2020 and 2021 where they actually said that they did mix in a second ball. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, um, I guess, little aside, and then I'm going to go into the, the, the 2021 weirdness. Mm -hmm. um, do you guys want to know, I figured out how to make a 2019 ball. I kid you not, from, from like any, you know, any baseball. You too can make your own 2019 ball. In fact, oh, I would love go. you guys to try this seriously. All right. uh, I'm in. I'm writing down the ingredients the and the recipe right now. <laughs> yes, okay. yes, and I, I, I want, I want people to try this in post videos. Right. Seriously, like it's, I've done it myself. At Here this point, I'd rather have like you know a TikTok thing Dr. going. Meredith Wills. Yeah, 
It's 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 actually kind of cool. Um, so what you do is you 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 dampen the leather cover enough so that you know so it's noticeably wet. Like you know, it's like if you'd left it out in the rain for five minutes or that you know wet grass. You you know the kind of feel. Um, take it and throw it in the dryer with a bunch of towels. The towels mostly being to to muffle the sound so that your neighbors don't freak out. <laughs> yeah. So you can um, watch and leave television. Leave it in there for like. If, <laughs> Well, like 15 to 40 minutes, I want to say. Uh, I think in my case, it didn't for 45. And this was, it was actually something where someone just sent me baseballs from a rain delay still in a Ziploc bag with the water. So not only were they were soaked, they smelled incredibly rank and I had to figure out how to like dry them out. (laughs) So I wasn't going to try to mess with them too much, but I threw them in the dryer for not much time, I thought, you know, and it turned out not to be, but they came out and I'm like, oh my God, these are 2019s. They weren't 29 like real 2019s but suddenly i had created exactly the ball you just said it was perfectly round the leather was insanely slick it felt tight and the seams were flat that's amazing yeah i want people to try this hitters like that stuff finally we know why hitters love it you know oh hitters absolutely love it but it's amazing to me that they actually Mm -hmm. put a ball in play that did not have seams on it in this day and age where everybody's screaming about spin rates and things like that Mm -hmm. i mean it put the advantage to the hitter because it took away some of that spin rate for the pitchers where they're actually relying on those seams to catch and create the spin create the break i'm not i mean there you're getting into what are the priorities for the manufacturer (laughs) <laughs> and if you look, you know, seriously, if you look at how yeah. baseballs have been made, uh, the final process before they, they dry the baseballs is um, essentially a machine that it rolls it through specifically to make the ball rounder and flatten the seams. You know, it's just oh, wow. they found a way to do that even better for 2019 by effectively throwing them in the dryer. So they got a perfectly round ball with flatter seams. The problem is that the perfect baseball is really awful for playing baseball. Yeah. You know, well, uh, certainly, certainly standing 60 feet, six inches from home plate and throwing it up there to a guy that knows what he's doing. That's, yeah. that's where it makes it awful. Yeah. Good with, grief. with 2021, uh, just, just because Jeff said this, um, it's actually worse than them having used one kind of ball for half the season and then switching. In fact, what they did was, you know, I talked about the manufacturing, so they'd make one kind and then they'd switch and make another, and then they'd switch back and make the first kind. But they didn't use them in that order. What they did, and, and this is typical, like when you look at when the balls are made, they, you know, they'll, they'll kind of be first in, first out, but not entirely. So there will be some mixing in. And um, they used both kinds of baseballs, both this new one that was performing differently that they told teams was going to be the ball for 2021. So everyone was expecting this new kind of baseball. But they also used the kind that was made to the old specifications, and they used both all season. And I, it was 169 balls is unfortunately not representative. Um, so when you talk about conspiracies, uh, this is a weird position to be in as a scientist because you can usually come up with a hypothesis to explain things. I have no idea what, even frankly, what happened? Because uh, it's very hard for me to get enough baseballs from one venue from enough, you know, or period of time where I could even tell, okay, are they systematically getting one or the other? You know, like they, they talk about the Yankees having the new ball. I have a few Yankees balls, 
they all happen to be the new ball, but that's not statistically significant. Not if I'm looking at like three. Yeah. Um, so what do they use in a season? Find... A million baseballs or something? I think. Uh, uh, actually, uh, one point two is what they. Yeah, I mean, so that was like an you amazing said, number. yeah. That article I read that, and I heard that story. That was unbelievable to me. How many baseballs are being used? Mm-hmm. Yep, and they ran out in in uh, in twenty in twenty nineteen because yep. uh, they got really good at uh, authenticating baseballs and selling them became really popular. Yeah, so they went through a lot more. Well, and then this is a little subtlety, Jeff. I, I know you have a question. I was just going to say because. As a pitcher or a former pitcher, I mean, this seems like you could. We would sit in the dugout after they were rubbed out with the mud or whatever. Then you would just take your fingernail and try and rub it along the seams. You know, you were looking for any sort of little traction you can get. And modern day baseball, to your point, I mean, we just keep using more and more baseballs. We're authenticating them. There's a business model there. I mean, you you might throw a baseball for two pitches if you're lucky, and then you know that thing's out, and now you're starting again with this round, flat, you know, flattened seam baseball. So mm-hmm. even if you get a baseball you like, I mean, I, you know, I just it's it's been a long time, but it's just funny. You, we used to try and like you know scuff it on the grass or just keep it in play and. You know, if you got four or five ground balls, you might see that now that just doesn't even happen. And and I think yeah. that also lends itself to your point about these hard baseballs. There's no way to even get some consistency with the one that you like or don't like. So sorry, right. Jeff. Well, and actually, what what is great to hear there, because uh, I'm very much of the school that it, it, there there's there's a group out there that that wants they want all the baseballs to basically be the same. I'm not a fan of that. For precisely what you just said, different guys have different type. They, they want the seams to be different. Their grips depend on the seams being a certain way. Yeah. Uh, for some people, I mean, the balls are larger and smaller within within the tolerances that the rules say. Right. And for some guys, the size of the ball makes a difference. Uh, so, no, don't make them all the same because no. you're going to take away from the subtlety right. that different pitchers have for using different kinds of baseballs, even for different pitches. It's like, you know, why do that? I said this yesterday to Jeff offline, but we were talking about deflate gate. Like, you know, I mean, if, the, if you know, the offense uses a certain ball, the kicker uses a certain ball, and then, you yep. know, you just want a certain feel. They made such a big deal about that, where in mm-hmm. baseball, we used to do that all the time. I, I was a sinker ball guy, so I like the high seam on this finger. Mm-hmm. It's like that was the feel that I look for. So even on these flat baseballs, mm-hmm. you could still find something. And I know you've interviewed enough people, but and I've played enough baseball. Like, mm-hmm. they pull bats out of the bag, and they just there's like six bats made it to the same specs but these two bats feel different i mean they mm-hmm. like these two bats the way they're weighted and i think to your point being born on opening day i mean that's the nuance of baseball that's the great part about baseball that we are starting to eliminate so yes it's nice to have mass production it's to have to mm-hmm. have to have some consistency but you're taking away and we've talked on this podcast jeff played with maddox for a long time they would soak they would soak the field in front of home plate when maddox was pitching right because you know, he's going to get uh-huh. ground balls. And so that lends itself to your point, which is there are some differences. There are mm-hmm. some stylistic differences in baseball. There are some, you know, strengths and weaknesses. And we need, we want to play with that and play to that. And we're losing that. We will be back right after this message. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. 
Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. I remember one situation uh, being told about where they just mowed the grass not as much in front of third base because the yep. third baseman just didn't have as much range. Oh, yeah. Awesome. They would never like, yeah, do. Yeah, not surprised, but you can do Dr. that. Dr. Wills, they would never do something like that. I'm, dude, are you kidding me? I know Shea Stadium, <laughs> Detroit, Chicago. Yeah, I, I, I played long enough ago to, that some of these salty vets were like, hey, man, give me a little extra grab on that grass so I can get create some range. Um, but th- those are some altercations that can be made. But you said something interesting about testing the baseballs. You said Yankee baseballs. And I'm under the assumption that home teams have the ability to prepare the baseballs in their home ballparks. When you go on the road, yes, they travel with baseballs. But I think mm-hmm. for the most part, home home team has the opportunity to rub up and get the baseballs in play. Now, when you test these baseballs, are you are you actually, you know, delineating whose baseballs you're testing, whether it be a Yankee ball, Astro Dodger, uh, Milwaukee Brewer baseball. Is that, is that correct? I, I do. Uh, the closest that I'm going to get to something, you know, like, like because the Yankees have already been in discussion, I'm comfortable saying, okay, I've got, you know, three balls mm-hmm. that came from Yankee Stadium. Uh, one thing I am very, very careful about is how, you know, how I get the baseballs and when when I do a study like the one that was just out in Insider, uh, the where they come from, or excuse me, how would I put this? <laughs> in theory, how you acquire were, them, not where they. Come. Well, no, I no. mean, I what, <laughs> okay. what, I guess the best way that I acquire them, uh, or the the best baseballs, are ones that I get from. I'll leave it as people who have access to the field. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I'm leaving that deliberately vague because yeah. a lot of different kinds of people have access to the field. Jeff Blum has access to the field on some days, so maybe, you know. Well, I mean. I'm not saying no, he's I, a resource. I, I, I I'm just saying. I throughout the year. No, it's amazing. <laughs> you yeah, caught I mean, one this I, year I in the booth. What are you talking to... about? <laughs> but yeah, that, I mean, that's it, a story in itself, yeah. <laughs> what has been great is as the studies have gone on, uh, I, I've, you know, people have, have been great about, you know, either in some cases approaching me in some cases, you know, I'll bring something up and then suddenly they're, they're, you know, I am hearing from them. And again, it's all different kinds of people. And occasionally it's been interesting to see, oh, okay. I hadn't thought about this person, but yeah, they, they, they can help. Uh, 2020 was particularly interesting because of course there were no fans. (laughs) Uh, I will, what I will say is there are absolutely fans who do send them to me. Oh, wow. uh, who get them in in various capacities? In fact, uh, that was a great source for for AAA. Uh, That's outstanding. Yeah, 
Well, mm-hmm. I think it's one of those things. It's just fascinating to everybody. And if you actually mm-hmm. have the time and you have somebody with your knowledge and you're actually able to read into it, you know, we're lucky enough here on the Bleacher Blums to have Dr. Meredith Wills, an astrophysicist who spent the time and, and has the, the, the capacity to understand it and explain it to us, thankfully. So we appreciate you coming on. And I just want to continue the talk about, you know, the future of the baseball that's what's most interesting to me because you found some deficiencies and differences in the baseball. There's been talk, you know, in Colorado, they have the humidor in Arizona. I believe they've instituted the humidor too, the two highest elevations of any ballparks uh, in in major league baseball. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that there's any way to try and level that baseball out in all of the ballparks? Do you think the humidor is the way to make it just have it universal where everybody stores their baseball in a humidor or everybody should rub their baseball in a certain way? You know, do you have any ideas about how to make that baseball a little more consistent through each ballpark that every team goes through? Well, um, in a, in a normal year, I should say. Yeah. I, I actually think the humidor, <laughs> no, I, I'm serious. How would I put this? This past year, it, it, you know, it would have helped if every park had a humidor. But um, okay. the problem is that they were using all year long two different kinds of baseballs that <laughs> even MLB is on the record saying the point of, you know, these two baseballs existing is because we designed them to perform differently. And yet you had both. I mean, I have situations where the same, where I know for a fact the same at bat used two different kinds of baseballs. Oh, no you know, way. so, so we're, we're, there's, it's kind of disturbing that that you, you know, yes, you have the humidor, but if you still have two different kinds of balls, it's not going to help, you know, performance is still going to be a problem. So the first thing we need to do is get back to a single kind of baseball and preferably not where it's me figuring it out during the season. I mean, they're already <laughs> making the baseballs for 2022. They didn't even, yeah. the article didn't even come out until they'd been making them for months. Mm-hmm. And I don't, you know, not to mention the fact that the numbers that I found, they used a lot of leftover 2020s. By the way, both kinds, not just the new kind they were talking about. Uh, and because of that, there's a huge chunk, you know, maybe as much as half of the 2021 inventory is still sitting around. And if that's still sitting around, you know, they use leftover 2020s. We're, I'd be astonished if they don't use two baseballs in 2021, yeah. even if they did make one for 2022. And we have, you know... Based on what Rawlings said in July to The Athletic, they said that the manufacturing for 2022 was going to be the same as for 2021. I saw that personally and flipped. I mean, I didn't talk yeah. about it at the time, but I right. flipped. No, that that should be yeah. outlawed. And and I'll tell you what, just yes. I, we've said, I say this all the time, and we do this in the backyard, and my kids play sports. It's like, just tell us what the rules of the game are, and then let <laughs> us go play the game, whether it was like PEDs at the time, or they raised the mound when Bob Gibson had a great year. It's like... All of these elements, just tell us the rules and let us play. And then then you take it to the practical side with contracts. And I've heard you talk about this, contracts and general managers and scouts yeah. evaluating these players and paying them based on this result. I'm standing on the mound. I throw a 2-1 sinker on a guy and I jam him and he you know, has a soft fly ball to left field. That's with one baseball. He comes up, the game on the line, I throw the same pitch, hit almost the same exact spot on the bat, and he gets one off the wall. And you're mm-hmm. thinking there's no effect to this, but it's it's got a huge effect and huge ramifications. Yeah. And yeah. I think obviously that's what mm-hmm. – you know, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on this podcast. One, but, one you know, thing, though, and, and this this is almost – as if it weren't disturbing enough, Yeah. Um, both – kinds of baseballs meet the rules. 
Neither of them breaks <laughs> gotcha. the right. rules. And that's that's almost the most disturbing thing is that because the of the way uh, MLB has sole oversight, MLB has sole control, MLB, you know, owns a percentage of the company and runs everything. And you can have baseballs that are designed to perform differently. Not just that they happen to, but they're physically designed right. to. And they still both meet the rules. Yeah, it's so they're, funny they're because, not breaking a single rule to use right. both those baseballs. Because people always go to the rule. Let's go to the rule book and let's look at, you know, 1A and what does it say? But it's like if the variability is that much, like they can change the baseball. Like you said, the 2019 baseball, you know, you can make one in your dryer and that fits the rules, the same mm-hmm. rules as something else. It's crazy. Yeah, so there, there's, there's a, there are a lot of things that, I mean, ultimately the transparency is key. Yeah. You know, like, like they have that information. Yeah. It's just they're not sharing that information until somebody like me comes out and says, you know, ha- have you acknowledged that, that this is happening and this is a problem? Right. Uh, at least to their credit, starting in 2020, MLB acknowledged it. You know, for every other change, they ignored it or pretended it didn't happen. Um, you know, and so at least when they're two physically different balls that are being manufactured to two sets of specifications – at least they didn't, you know, fail to respond or give some kind of pat answer, which for <laughs> every other study is actually what they've done. Yeah. When you, so. And you feel like the technology is good enough to be able to maintain, you know, or at least shrink the rules a little bit to make them fit a little bit tighter idea of what the baseball should be, right? You know what? That might be one of the, the more interesting things that, that needs to be considered is um, – among other, you remember how the Olympic ball was such a big deal and how players mm-hmm. loved that. Um, I have some Olympic balls. Nice. Oh, cool. Uh, and and I have. Were they made by them. Rawlings also? Nope. Actually, here. I'll ah, show you one. Interesting. So who made, who I'm, made I'm that showing baseball? people who don't have video. I it's 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 not actually stamped Olympics, but it is the same ball by the same manufacturer, um, and they are they're better. They're who, made differently and they're made better. Who is the manufacturer? I know in college we had Diamond was the manufacturer, but I played in the Pan American Games in 1991 in Cuba, Havana, Cuba. And I think maybe it's the style of baseball, but the Dominicans and the Puerto Rican pitchers were a bunch of little guys and they threw a lot of curveballs, a lot of sinkers. I know they like those baseballs and those baseballs were definitely different. Who Who's the manufacturer of the Olympic baseball? Um, it's SSK Corp, ah, which is a Japanese awesome. company, but mm-hmm. it's not the one that does the NPB ball. That's Mizuno. Mm. Uh, and SSK Corp uh, does, uh, I think it's WBSC. Yeah. Yes. Uh, they're the supplier for that. Uh, it is a, as far as I can tell, a single factory in Sri Lanka in the same way that MLB uses a single factory in Costa Rica, which is unusual. Uh, very often you'll have much bigger scale things for, yeah. you know, minor league, for instance. But yeah. the, uh, that ball, it's, it's, it's made in a very different way. Uh, yeah. I won't go into the details because <laughs> it is kind of, you know, it gets heavy, but um, but the way that they're made, you can tell that there are that the processes are more advanced, and this because of that, the there are parts that are consistent in a way that major league baseballs are not. Uh, one thing that has yet to be asked is that you know the the variation within the rules. You know, the main one being that the weight has to be between, you know, five and five and a quarter ounces, or the circumference has to be, uh, was it nine to nine and a quarter inches around? 
mm-hmm. uh, those turn out to be huge differences once once you sort of start looking. I mean, you'll appreciate that that is those particularly size. You can really yeah. tell. Oh my gosh, yeah. If you've grabbed if you've grabbed enough baseballs in your life, you can tell it down to that quarter of a you know centimeter or whatever it is. You can definitely feel that. Oh yeah, I can I can do it now. Which yeah, it you says know it now. doesn't yeah, need to be to do it your whole life. You just need <laughs> yeah. to do it you know a couple hundred, and you're pretty yeah. sure. But um, the thing is that I'm not sure because of the way they're manufactured in Costa Rica. I have yet to see anybody demonstrate that you can make a baseball that can have sort of more precision, that can have those tighter tolerances. I'm not sure that's the case. And if anything, I think some of the problems we've run into may have been because the Home Run Committee early on said they didn't like the range for the specifications. They said, you know, listen, this is way too big. This is causing problems. And so MLB made changes that you know, went in with the idea of making those specifications tighter. Uh, The problem is that one of the best ways to break something is to try and fix something that wasn't broken to begin with. (laughs) I'm serious. Sounds like my swing. (laughs) Your golf golf swing or what? I don't know. Your baseball swing, okay. (laughs) It's it's, a... but nobody's gone in and demonstrated that the way we used to make the baseballs could be improved, you know, without like major changes. Because mm-hmm. right. right now, as far as I can tell, they've been making baseballs the same way for decades. So without updating some of those, you know, I'm not sure we can get beyond those quarter ounce and quarter inch tolerances. Or at least we need to find out mm-hmm. if it's doable before we just decide we can. Right. And, and that's, that's something – the question has never been asked publicly. Nobody has ever come out and said, here's what we can do versus here's what, you know, what we're trying. Well, baseball has always been the stick in the mud sport. You know, the traditionalists and everything, you know, to your point about the way they've made the baseball the same way for so many, you know, hundreds of years now. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think it was such a big revelation when that core, the center, the rubber piece in the middle or whatever it's made out of was actually mm-hmm. they made it perfectly round. And that's what kind of made the adjustment to the baseball as a whole. Yeah. We've had you on for plenty long enough. I know that it's been <laughs> fascinating for me personally. I know Tuttle's been enjoying this, but you know, he's a father. He has three kids. Two of them are girls. I'm a father of four girls. I just wanted to get uh, you know your opinion because you were being a female in a male-dominated sport, a male, I would imagine a male-dominated industry in the astrophysics world. So you're kind of breaking barriers and making a name for yourself and bringing that, that female point of view, which I think is phenomenal. But having four daughters... In watching what's happening in baseball, you've got Rachel Balkovec, who's going to be a, a minor league manager. We've got Kim Ng, who's the first female GM for the Marlins. And recently, I just watched video on the pitching ninja of Gen- – I hope I get her name right. Gen- Genevieve, Genevieve uh, Beacom. Beacom. Yeah. So I was absolutely floored to watch her going out there. And, 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 oh, did you bring up it, Rachel? I did, yes. Okay, the first minor league manager. She's going to mm-hmm. have her own team and run that ball club mm-hmm. uh, for the New York Yankees organization. Uh, but I played in the Australian Baseball League, so that's why I kind of keep in touch with what's going on out there. Sure. But I was absolutely floored and, and, and had a lot of enjoyment in seeing that. Give me a, How does it feel to see some of these women really breaking the barrier and getting some of these positions that have impact at the major league level? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm ecstatic. Uh, I... What what I will say is, you know, I, I've, I guess it's been, I, I switched from astrophysics to baseball maybe ten years ago, and when I first got in, uh, 
Kim Ang's name was being floated as the next manager 10 years ago. She has mm-hmm. been the most qualified person for 10 years before she got hired. And uh, unfortunately, we are still at that stage. I mean, I, I don't care much for the comparison because the situation was, very, was you know, different in a lot of ways. But, um, you know, a friend of mine pointed out that all of the first players to come over from the Negro Leagues were the best players. And part of the reason was because that was just what was, you know, you had enough... Um, enough potential pushback where, yeah, you had to have the best players to really stand out. Um, I, everybody who is making it in now, you're making it in because you're really, really good at what you do. Absolutely. And it turns out there are a lot of us who are really good at what we do. Yep. And, um, you know, so I'm glad that baseball is, is noticing that and taking advantage of it. You know, I think that's huge. Uh, it's, it's, I'm glad it seems to be happening more quickly, mm-hmm. which I think is great. Um, and I, was it Rachel who said this? Somebody with the Yankees for sure. And this is a way I've thought about it for years, which is that having, having a woman come in and be the first in something is great. It's when, but it, it's not really meaningful until you get to the fifth or the sixth or whatever, basically until it stops being news. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. meaningful. As long as it continues to be news, that means that we're outliers. Yep. Uh, I remember, I want to say it was Tina Fey. I can't find the clip. It's annoying. It's this little Tina Saturday Faye. Night Live weekend update clip with Tina Fey saying, you know, right now we have three, you know, the, the space station crew, it's three astronauts and they're all women and nobody cares. <laughs> and that was the news. And I'm like, yes, that's, that's yeah. we, yeah. once we get to that point, yeah. Once it's just normal to have, totally you know, because even even the kind of work I do, you know, I'm the I'm the only woman on most of my meetings. Yeah, uh, I, I don't even it. think about it really because you just get used to it. But yeah. but it's true. You know what? What really stands out there, which is you. I mean, you you articulated it well. Is I think that that's it. We talk about especially in sports. We're talking about high level sports. It's a results oriented business, and so we see people make mistakes and get get another opportunity. Urban Meyer is the greatest coach in sliced bread. Well, I mean, he was a tyrant in college, but nobody did the background check, and then you know we already know all his other like. I mean, Tony how Larusa m- comes to mind. There, oh, oh yeah, here I have oh, a second you, DUI, and we're going to hire you anyway, oh, even though you're already in the hall of fame. You you've yeah, listened we, we to our podcast this. before. You can claim <laughs> I'm joking. I know Tony Larusa as Jeff does, and we are not big fans. So there you go. And I know Rick Hahn really well, and we were like, gosh, he got anyway. That's a whole nother thing. Like Tony Larusa, we're just going to hire Tony Larusa. He's an, a fossil and a dinosaur in the game. So anyway, yeah. When the old boys t- club goes by the wayside, we'll be all right. Right. And I think, but I think what you said is right. When it's not news, and that's the thing. If we're and just to make finish my point, we're in a results oriented and a results driven business. Get the best people in there, and then nobody asks questions. I mean, it, you yeah. know, the results, you know, are going to be what they are. But I think mm-hmm. you you articulated that well, and I think yeah. it's so funny because that's the the shadow that people hide behind. Well, it's a results oriented business, and we're going with a winner. It's like, well, mm-hmm. he's lost everywhere he's been, or he's got a below five hundred record. Mm-hmm. But you're saying he's a winner because he knows how to. Run a clubhouse. At, yeah. I mean, there, the the. I'm not sure if it's an upside of that, but because it's so result oriented, uh, having say women coming into these jobs, 
uh, you're absolutely going to have people who have kind of this affirmative action attitude of this person preferentially got this job because they needed diversity. First of all, we know how much clubs, even if they're going for diversity, I'm not sure they're no. really going for diversity. <laughs> exactly. no, I'm serious. Like I know people no, where it's like I, a really important thing. Yeah, we're laughing because you're right. Yeah, I'm with yeah, you. But there's, there's pushback. On the other hand, when those candidates come in, they're really, really good because of that results-oriented business. You know, nobody is going to take that risk, as it were, because it is still seen as a risk. Uh, if they aren't aware of the fact that this person is going to do their job, do that job, you know, ten times better than you know your typical person coming in, because that's the only—they're not the only reason, but that's that gives them a reason to take what they see as a risk. Very good stuff. Great having you on, Dr. Meredith Wills. I'm sure that we will talk to you in the future because this yeah. is, seems to be an ongoing issue with the baseball, and we appreciate <laughs> the hard work that you are doing. Uh, just one quick question before we get out of here, just trying to have a little bit of fun. I know you're a baseball fan. If there is a, if, if there's, is there one player in the league right now, if you're walking past a TV and you see this player on the on the camera, you're going to stop and either watch that inning that they're pitching or you're going to watch that at bat. Who is your favorite player in the big leagues right now? Oh, man. Um, yeah, I, I can think of one where I'd stop and watch the at-bat, but that's only because he's the brother of a friend of mine, and so we'd like go and cheer him on. <laughs> hey, that um, works, too. But, hey, that well, works. Yeah. That's right. Give him yeah. a plug. I mean, no, I'm kidding. Uh, Riley Adams with the Nationals, uh, right. his brother's okay. part of the team I work with, and, and he's, nice. he's a great guy. Well, that's kind of cool. Um, cool. I'll tell you, for, for watching, um, Jazz Chisholm Jr. is amazing. Oh, my great God. Great call. I love it. I, I the, just, the energy, the 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 swag, all that. The he's joy. got everything wrapped in one. Yeah, the joy. He's like Tim Anderson for me. Tim Anderson yeah. plays with that absolute joy of the game. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Great call. And he's got he's got no fear. First time I first time I saw him play, uh, I was at at what are they calling it? AmFam now. Used to be Miller Park. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we get confused off. by that too. Who sponsors what? It's like I know the one. You know, the so one, it's one advantage County. of the Bay Area is it's <laughs> yeah. Giants Park now because no one knows who the sponsor is anymore because it's had like five. Yeah. So they've and just given up. I forgot you're in the Bay Area. I grew up in the Bay Area Giants fan, so there you go. Yeah. I love that. Part. Well, I but mean, anyway, as so. clearly I was in Wisconsin to have yeah. seen this, so that's, it kind <laughs> that's of bounces right. back and forth. But, yeah, it was, you know, Brewers, he was leadoff uh, immediate. I want to say it was, you know, first or second pitch and, you know, ran it out, ran it out. Uh, you know, what would have been a normal 6-3 put out, and he ran it out and got on base. And you're oh, like, oh, yeah. Next yeah. pitch, he steals second base. I don't know. Again, couple pitches. Like literally, there's just like, only a couple more pitches, and he steals third. Mer and I'm just Meredith, like, who plays the game like this anymore? It was Meredith, awesome. Meredith, I thought it was all about the home runs. It's all. I hate it's home all runs. about the long ball. It's about launch <laughs> angles and exit velocities. It's not about <laughs> speed. <laughs> the only chicks who dig long ball. Okay, I'm, I'm generalizing right. here. Chicks <laughs> who dig long balls are not necessarily chicks who watch baseball regularly. Mm. I'm sorry. Love Great it. point. That's a so quote. Even, even Hank Aaron somewhere. said the most exciting play in baseball is a triple. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Everybody's moving. Something's happening. It is. Yeah. Dr. Meredith, thank you so much. We appreciate thank you. Thank you, guys. It was a great time hanging out with you. That was a phenomenal interview with Dr. Meredith Wills. And remember, you can go on Twitter and follow her. She's a great follower. She always has uh, information, studies, anything she's doing, or any articles that are being published. She will post them on her feed, and it's at 
BBL underscore astro physics, but it's without the I. So just make sure that you do that without the I in that uh, handle or just go ahead and type in Meredith Wills. And I'm sure that her account will come up because her name is attached to that handle. But it was a good time talking to her. Some of it got a little above my head. I will be brutally honest with you. And some of that will stir some conspiracy theory thoughts. But at the same time, you know, looking back on the 2021 season and having my pitcher friend David Tuttle here in on the conversation with us, the first thing that popped in my head about 2021 and Major League Baseball admitting to two baseballs was they admitted to two baseballs. And they changed the rules on pitchers last year. Remember, they took away the, the sticky stuff and really clamped down on that and started checking pictures. I was astonished to hear that. How much more can they do to the pitchers? You know, what are your thoughts on that, Tuttle? It's amazing to me to know that they were manipulating that many different things with the baseball for pitchers that go out there. Because hitters, as hitters, and I don't know if we've talked about this enough, hitters actually can alter their bat. There are certain specifications. You can't go out there with like a 42-inch bat weighing 30, you know, 28 ounces. It's got to be within the realm of reality. But at the same time, I can control the knob. I can control the handle. I can control the barrel. I can control the weight. Pitchers, you are a victim of whatever Major League Baseball puts on that mound for you to throw. You know, I, I'm, I was rubbing my eye like I had a tear for a couple of reasons. One <laughs> is that I now have a hitter in my court, like defending me. That's awesome. I mean, it's incredible. It is. We already knew it was challenging, but I think that um, you know the what we discussed in there is you know the feel of everything. But I do, I do think. I mean, when hitters come out and say that, yeah, we want the guys to have some sticky stuff on there because it, you know, the ball's so slick and they might lose one up and in. You know, I mean, we're kind of aligned as players to, you know, have, you know, consistent, you know, work environment, whether that be, you know, the utensils yep. that you use or the tools that you use. And I think we've talked about that. And I just mentioned that to her, but gosh, I just remember in college, we I could use the same ball for like two or three innings, but you got really comfortable with the ball, almost like an old glove or a yeah. hat or something that you wear. I realize that that's gone by the wayside, but I was never a conspiracy theorist, um, but thinking about the slick baseballs, the fact that, you know, there are different baseballs during the season um, and that you, you know, we want consistency, but that one baseball may even act differently than another baseball during the inning, during an at-bat, during the next time you face somebody. It's really frustrating. And I do think that, you know, from a, a true fan and a true, maybe uh, not, a, not necessarily an analytics person, and we've talked about this too, I would just like it to be, you know, there's got to be a little nuance, a little artistry in the game. And, you know, if I'm a sinkerball pitcher, I want some seams on the baseball. But uh, I also like that she brought up the fact that there was a different Olympic baseball, right? Mizuno makes baseball. I do too. SSK. That was interesting. I'm like, maybe, you know, maybe, you know, maybe we can force Major League Baseball not to have a monopoly on the baseballs and they outsource to to uh, a baseball that actually hitters and pitchers both like, like some kind of mutually agreeable. Because I think the the bigger, darker issue that we talked about is Major League Baseball can, whether they choose to do it or not is a different thing, manipulate contracts and series and the game oh, of baseball. Oh, you start messing which, with the baseball, to Tuttle's yeah. point, you're messing with the yeah. market for pitchers and hitters. That's you're right. right. 
Yeah, and look at Tom Brady, the backlash he got for deflating the ball a little bit. I mean, they basically said the same thing. This one player is not bigger than the game. We want some consistency. He has to throw the same you know, football as everybody else. Baseball is doing the opposite. They're basically saying, hey, we're going to throw you guys all in a pool, but we're going to manipulate it the way we want. Mm-hmm. So it's one thing when one player takes it upon themselves to have you know a different uh, look at something or a different feel. But when Major League Baseball is basically playing, you know, Wizard of Oz behind the curtain, and we want Blum to be a 300 hitter, you know. So we're gonna make sure he gets these baseballs, and we want you know this guy not. I mean, th- I, I know that's a little far fetched, but you know it's got to be frustrating. And and I I do detect some frustration in your voice as well. I mean, yes, you know you want a baseball that's easier to hit and it travels farther and all that, but I don't think that's always the case here. And 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 you know give it give us your thoughts on that too, because you're definitely frustrated by oh. this as well. Anything in life, whatever, if it's business, parenting, uh, podcasting, you want some level of consistency. And baseball is one of those things. Like you said, you want to know the rules. How do I work within those rules? How do I maximize my talent inside those rules? And if I get used to one baseball every time I make contact or I've adjusted my swing to every time I make contact that I know it's, you know, if I'm, if, Hitters know when they get it good. So if I know when I get it good and it doesn't go out, I'm going to be like, damn, dude, what do I have to do differently? Do I have to work out? Do I have to get stronger? Do I have to adjust my swing? You know, or do I stop trying to go the other way? Do I start pulling the ball more? You know, it, it gets into your psyche a little bit and you try to adjust to that. And then say you adjust to that and all of a sudden the ball's flying out of all over the place and you're taking yeah. crud swings and there's balls still going out. All of a sudden, I've got this delusion of grandeur, and I don't need to make any adjustments. So it's just the consistency. What am I adjusting to? And if I see a pitcher's pitch one time, you know, all of a sudden come out of there, turn and burn, and just snaps, you know, a snap dragon off the table, and I can't get to it. I'm like, damn, I got to make an adjustment. And I make adjustment to nasty, and nasty doesn't come anymore because the baseball right. is different. Then what am I adjusting to? So there's a lot of things that go into that. You know, the art of the game that you're talking about with pitchers being able to pitch with a scuffed baseball or a raised seam, you know, things like that. I think that's gone by the wayside. It's just funny to me to watch baseball now. Anytime a ball hits the ground, it's thrown out of play. It blows my mind because that little scuff can change the movement of the baseball, you know, and you use that to your advantage if you're a pitcher. Uh, You know, and the, the other thing that really has altered it, and I don't know if a lot of people have given this thought, how about the monetization of in-game or game-used things, equipment, baseballs. Every baseball that hits the ground and is thrown out goes straight to the authenticator. It gets a sticker, it gets a number, and it will say, Dave Tuttle threw this pitch to Jeff Blum, and it it was a foul bunt. And that's how they market, and then they send it right to the team store, put a put a number to it, and somebody's yeah. going to end up buying it. So yeah. there's a certain monetization to it with the authenticity that has changed the game a little bit too. And that's might be why they're using 1.2 million baseballs yep. in a season. But they must be making it up, like you said. You got to follow the dollars. Now, I don't think oh, you yeah. ever would have squared around a bunt against me unless the manager made you. But that's you know that's that's a whole why I thought discussion. somebody might actually buy it in the team show. You know? <laughs> yeah, if you're squared around <laughs> a bunt, it. Um, you know what? That you you do. You know, obviously, we've been talking about this for an hour at least. But the you raise a big issue, and I think it's valid, which is. I mean, we don't want this manipulated. We don't want that. The artistry is there. I mean, remember in your backyard when you played wiffle ball, like, man, we try to make that thing move as much as possible. Like, hitters can hit moving ball. Like, we make it sound like any sort of doctoring or moving the ball. I mean, 
that's the game. That's this the game. This is the ball. This is what we're doing. This is that's what he's right. doing. This is yeah. what I'm going to do. Yeah. And it's supposed to be challenging, but I, I uh, like I said, coming away from that interview, um, I am much more in the conspiratorial camp than I ever have been before. <laughs> Get some mind think, moving. That's right. But but you know, I was more suspicious when we found out. Obviously, uh, Major League Baseball bought Rawlings. Yeah. Um, and you know, you would think a company like that would buy that for consistency, not for the other way around. But then you know, the issue comes up with you know television revenue and that one of the owners owns the other part of it and i mean etc 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 it's it's got my brain spinning it does you want to call it a podcast let's call it a podcast man i got right. some stuff for next time that i think will be valid um maybe maybe the lockout will be ended by next podcast oh, really gosh, talk be great yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, we we greatly appreciate Dr. Meredith Wills coming on our podcast, you know, talking about the baseball, getting our mind revved up. And I think to your point, Tuttle, we want that CBA to get figured out. I know there was a meeting this week. We haven't heard the results of it yet, but I do agree the further we get uh, into, the, into the new year and the closer we get to spring training, things hopefully will start to unfold a little bit quicker and we will get baseball back and we will have a lot of fun. But uh, we've had a lot of fun on this podcast. We're now astrophysicists, according to the Bleacher Blue. <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, documentarians who, who understand our knowledge of it. So yeah. we had a lot of fun talking about the baseball. And again, we wouldn't be able to do it if it wasn't for the military, both home and abroad, who are protecting our borders and protecting our freedoms. Uh, all the first responders, all the EMTs, all the, all the policemen, firemen, and fire persons, police persons, all of you out there who protect us and keep us safe here. And of course, with Omicron rolling through the United States, we always appreciate the doctors, scientists, and nurses who are out there trying to keep us healthy. The essential workers who continue to, to continue to give us everything that is essential to us, we greatly appreciate you and hope you enjoyed this podcast. Tuttle, again, hey man, I always put this on you. You're always the one, you're the closer now. You are officially the closer of Bleacher Blondes. Close it out. It, it took a while to become the closer, and now we're honorary astrophysicists. I think that's what we're looking yes. for, right? We put in enough time. Um, we expect Dr. <laughs> Meredith Wills to send us some sort of you know, honorary astrophysics degree. Um, uh, but, uh, of course, we're super thankful to have uh, a bunch of listeners out there and you know, grateful to, as Jeff just said, to all the first responders and military workers. But most importantly, as the new year starts and we're you know, hopefully hanging on to our new year's resolutions, we encourage all of our listeners to get after it and believe it. And if you're over the age of 45, don't forget to get screened for colorectal Believe it. Have fun chewing that one up, Mark. <laughs>